So my shame, my toxic shame is suggesting that what's so evil about me is that I know that I'm going to screw things up and I don't warn anyone. Getting Discomfortable with Rupture. The really like disempowering, toxic forms of shame that plague us in life originate usually in very early childhood. As a child, we are completely helpless and dependent upon caregivers, adults, people in power to look after us and to teach us. And as a social being, we're born with this expectation of warm connection, that our caregivers will pay attention to us, will understand when our needs aren't met, will we'll fix things, will help us, will nurture us, will love us, will teach us, will show us what is true and right and safe. And a very natural part of this process is that there will be ruptures. There will be interpersonal ruptures between us as a child and our caregivers. It's unavoidable. But those ruptures are always going to be painful for the child. It breaks the child's expectation of safety and connection. But these ruptures are also necessary because they can strengthen the relationship when the ruptures are noticed and repaired. And it's not like every rupture has to be noticed and repaired, but kind of like more often than not, that the caregivers notice when there's been a rupture and let the child know that it's okay, there's still connection there, and what's really important is that they communicate in some way to the child, it wasn't your fault. You didn't know. It's kind of the parent's job, you know, to teach the child what it needs to know to stay in connection. So when a child pulls the parent's hair and the parent winces, that's a rupture and the child will feel shame. That's what the child will feel. Oh, no. There's a rupture between me and my parent. They're, they're hurt. They're angry. And it seems to be my fault. Because a child is egocentric, everything is sort of their fault. And in this case, you could say, well, yeah, the, the child pulled the parent's hair, so it is the child's fault. Except that a child doesn't know that that's going to lead to rupture. A child doesn't even know that that's going to hurt. The only person who knows that is the adult. So actually, I would argue that it's the adult who has responsibility. So there's this rupture, and then the adult notices that there's been a rupture, and ideally repairs it, and lets the child know, I'm still here for you. When someone pulls on my hair, it's painful. It's okay. You didn't know that, and now you do. So try to watch out for pulling my hair. But I still love you, and it's okay to make mistakes. You're learning. That's good. So this rupture was instructive. It helped 
the child learn something, understand more about the caregiver and the world and about their relationship and about how we as beings can affect and hurt one another. And then it was repaired. And that repair actually strengthens the relationship. The child and the parent have a deeper understanding of each other and each other's needs. So these ruptures are important. They make relationships stronger. For a relationship to be able to show pain, to show conflict is okay, and that we can work through it, and that we will be with each other in that process. So a rupture is a beautiful thing. But if the caregiver, who's responsible and in power, doesn't notice these ruptures and doesn't repair them, then the child, the egocentric child that's already blaming itself, will have to be the one to initiate a repair. I was listening to a talk recently done by Gabor Mate, and he talked about if the child is the one who has to make the repair, that is where it becomes a shaming experience. Because the message to the child is, in order to be in connection with your caregivers that you need to survive, it's up to you to change yourself and make an effort to win them back. This is where we really learn the lesson, oh, there's something wrong with me. Not something wrong with the caregiver. The child internalizes that I, a helpless uneducated, not responsible child caused this rupture, as opposed to the adult who's educated and in power caused the rupture. It's kind of a role reversal. The responsibility should be with the adult caregiver, but instead the child takes it on. This is my fault. I did something wrong. There's something bad about me that needs to be gotten rid of and changed or it will lead to rejection from my caregivers and death. You know, a child's not thinking this logically, but it's implicit in a child's safety instincts. I need this person to survive. They're the source of pleasure in my life. Disconnection with them is painful. So I am going to internalize that I need to change in order for the parent to stay connected to me. So when the child is forced to be the one to make a repair, and that happens over and over again, the child's brain and nervous system is actually wiring itself around this message. It's my fault. There are parts of me that are bad and not okay, and I need to hide them and repress them. So for those of us who carry toxic shame into adulthood, it is those little ruptures that weren't repaired that we internalized and wired ourselves to believe. So we come into adulthood with this first language, with the same kind of intense depth of wiring that my first language of English has, In certain aspects of my personality, I also have this first language of, it's my fault. 
there's something bad about me. And that badness will cause disconnection and pain in other people. So I need to constantly be in some kind of defensive action to avoid that being noticed by anyone and to avoid it impacting anyone in a hurtful way. So it's a kind of hypervigilance, kind of defensive pattern that I walk around with. And there's different defensive patterns for different people depending on you know, where these ruptures happened, under what kind of themes, things like that. Some people's defensive pattern is a narcissistic pattern. That That's one that I can relate to. Getting attention, trying to kind of have a constant marketing scheme about yourself. I'm worthy. I'm the best. Narcissism tends to be connected to a belief that in order for people to want to hang out with me, I need them to think that I am better than they are which is sort of sadly ironic because that's often really alienating and disconnecting. But nonetheless, we live in a culture that says, you know, the most valuable people are better. They're celebrities or they're rich or they're brilliant or they're talented, something like that. So it's not surprising that one of our defensive strategies against this deep feeling of wrongness and badness is to have a PR blitz all the time saying, well, actually, I'm, I'm great. I'm the best. It's going to be your loss if you don't hang out with me and connect with me and love me. So that's one strategy, you know, narcissistic. Other strategies might include, you know, never getting close to other people, staying in a really avoidant, distant kind of relationship to people because too much closeness is is unsafe and will lead to ruptures. For some people, it can be a more people-pleasing reaction. I also relate to this one where I am constantly trying to meet other people's needs, do what other people want, make other people happy, agree with other people, essentially abandoning my own needs and truths and real emotions in order to maintain harmonious connection at all costs because that is the safety strategy that seemed to work for me in childhood. And there's other defensive strategies. Some people have a lot of violence that they use to maintain a sense of dignity and respect. Some people will constantly attack and belittle themselves. So there are a lot of different safety defensive strategies that we take on as adults to deal with with this deep sense of there's something wrong with me, this self-blame. And an interesting aspect of it that I've been noticing in myself is that my shame is essentially always saying to me, you're going to hurt someone. By being honest by doing what you want, you know, following your authentic needs and desires and impulses, by displaying your true emotions, by revealing your real opinions, all of those things will inevitably hurt someone. That's the shame message that I've carried from childhood. So because of that pattern, I walk around with that deep-seated belief in pretty much everything I do. So, 
whenever I put myself out there and actually try to take a risk and it goes wrong, which is to say, whenever I make a mistake, my shame says, I told you so. But it's even worse than that. My shame doesn't just sort of criticize me saying, I told you you were going to fail. It actually says, you knew you were going to fail. You did it anyway because you're irresponsible. What kind of person knows they're going to fail and does it anyway and doesn't warn everyone, doesn't say, hey, like, everyone, don't, don't uh, sign up for this project or this course or don't read this book or don't be my friend or don't come to this movie with me. It's going to be bad. So my shame, my toxic shame is suggesting that what's so evil about me is that I know that I'm going to screw things up and I don't warn anyone. Or even worse, it's saying, I knew I was going to hurt someone. When I make some kind of action that accidentally or unexpectedly impacts someone in a way that is painful for them, that shame message comes back and says, you knew it. You, on some level, knew you were going to hurt that person, and yet you did it anyway. What kind of a monster knows they're going to hurt someone and then does it anyway? so selfish. So these are the messages of my toxic shame, and it makes complete sense because they're wired in at this very deep level. So my shame can always claim you knew you were going to fail and you knew you were going to hurt someone. And this is so limiting. It's so debilitating. It basically says, don't put yourself out there. Don't take any risks. Don't be authentic and honest and passionate because you're going to screw up and you're going to hurt someone. And then when you accidentally do hurt someone or screw up, which of course is always going to happen, like we're always making mistakes and learning, the toxic shame makes it so painful and builds up even more shame with this story that you knew it was going to fail. And it's hard to argue it in retrospect because there's always that inner critic voice inside of you saying, yeah, you are going to fail. Yeah, you are going to hurt someone. And then you did. You, you knew it and you did, so you did it anyway. So you're a monster. And it just builds on itself. You can just see how a couple of mistakes that it convinces you, you knew you were going to make. And then you really start to shame yourself even more. And then you stop taking risks, you stop putting yourself out there, you start living a very small, very safe, um, very conformist, kind of people-pleasing, just following what everyone else is doing and saying kind of life, because otherwise you're a monster. So you can see how, like, there's actually this very beautiful component to shame where we really are trying to be a good person and we're really trying not to screw things up and we're really trying not to hurt anyone. But because of these deeply internalized lessons and patterns from early childhood, it's all mixed up and there's just no space 
for us to be allowed to make mistakes and no real trust that we could possibly succeed or that a mistake could be okay, that it could be a good thing, that we could learn from it. And it also says, you know, this this opportunity for there to be a rupture and a repair, the repair part gets lost because we're so busy shaming and blaming ourselves, saying, you knew it would rupture. You must have known. You always know you're going to rupture and hurt people. So that level of self-shaming kind of blocks our capacity and bandwidth to say, actually, it's okay to rupture because we can repair it. Or anyway, I can try to repair it. And if I succeed at repairing it, I know that the relationship will actually be stronger and deeper. And it's the same with a mistake. A mistake is an opportunity for me to learn, for me to grow, for me to evolve. So with these shaming messages saying, I knew it, it blocks me and distracts me from seeing that mistakes and ruptures with people are okay and good and helpful. So lately, I've been trying to embrace a new value, a new kind of guiding principle. It's a kind of radical acceptance that we're all going to bump into each other periodically. We're going to hurt ourselves. We're going to accidentally hurt other people. And I have to give myself some compassion, okayness, and acceptance that if I really knew for sure that that was going to happen, I wouldn't have done it. But the fact that there's always a nagging voice in the back of my head saying, you knew that was going to happen, doesn't mean it's really true. We can't live like that. We can't stay in a box because our shame says that. So I'm embracing the painful impacts of life, but doing so knowing that there's always an opportunity to learn, grow, and repair. And that learning, growing, and repairing leads to a stronger relationship with myself and a stronger relationship with someone else a more honest relationship with the world, with myself and others, a deeper relationship, a relationship where we can see each other's pain and anger and stay in connection even through rupture. If you resonated with some of the themes and ideas in this episode, I encourage you to check out the four-week course that I'm putting on. It starts very soon, and there's still a couple of spots left. You can check it out at discomfortable.net slash events. It's going to be a very intimate, interactive online course where we dive into toxic shame and try to reorient and befriend some of these patterns so that we can learn to manage them and heal them.